Praise God. Amen. You may be seated for a moment. Let me uh, just take just one second here. And um, I, I was going to do this, but we were sort of primed for the offering. And so it took that so we can reset for a moment. My wife and I were talking before church and she, we were talking through some things. She made the statement and um, we sort of, one of those things where when you're a preacher and someone makes a statement and it kind of kicks, you just kind of go with it. And um, she made the statement. We were talking about a couple of particular things. And she said uh, that, you know, God is more concerned. She said, I'm realizing God is more concerned about the process than he is the destination. And ultimately, that is ultimately the case. Because you know what's funny about God is when you think you get where you're supposed to be getting, he moves it. I don't know anybody that's ever said, I've arrived in God. Because when you arrive, God's like, uh, stations, two more stops down there. What? I just spit. Because ultimately, it is the process. It is about the process. And ultimately, what we're doing in all of this is we're trying to help you understand and help you see part of the process by what we're doing. In no way in God is the process ever perfectly laid out. However, I believe in every process there can be checkpoints along the way. And so some of the stuff that we're doing and we're providing to you is helping enhance the checkpoint mentality that we all can at least have the same checkpoints even though we might have different ways of getting from point A to point B. Because ultimately, God is a God of the process. I don't feel like that any of us, when we're, when you're, let me put it this way. When God says you're complete, you've just sucked in your last breath. So as long as you're breathing, you're still in the process. You always be in the process. We often look at destinations like, you know, ministry or other things like that, that we see sort of out in the distance and think that when we get to these places, we'll sort of arrive. And I, hear Bishop Wright talk all the time, ministering now for almost 50, actually this year will be 50 years of being a licensed minister and, and, and all of the things that that's entailed. And you tell him he's still, God still has him in a process. And so the process true. And because of that, one thing that you have to understand, and, and, and I hate to use these analogies because it always, not everybody is into all of this, but if you hear some of the great names of some, even those that don't participate in sports would hear the name of Michael Jordan or a Tom Brady or a LeBron James, or uh, we can put other names up there of, of great athletes that are at, considered to be some of the greatest of all times. There's a common thread in all of them, and it's actually not talent. Because some of the greatest that reached the highest levels of their field weren't always the fastest weren't always the ones who could jump the farthest, weren't always the one that could shoot the best. But there's a common thread in all of them, and that is they loved the process. Michael Jordan was notorious for how hard he worked off the court. Here's Tom Brady, and, I, and, and, and those of you who don't know that name, is a quarterback for the New England Patriots. He's won five Super Bowls, made millions of dollars, has a beautiful family, has everything in life you could He's achieved everything. You can't really add much more onto it. What's one more Super Bowl going to do? He's 40 years old. Most guys should be retired by now. But here he is continuing to play on, play on. And part of the reason why, if you ask the question, he'll tell you he loves the process. 
So you have to learn to sort of embrace the process in where God is. You've got to learn to embrace the process, embrace learning and growing in God, not constantly trying to find the destination. Because trust me, if you live that way, it is never going to be satisfied because God always leaves the destination right off your fingertips and then keeps moving it. Because really the destination is just a carrot to get your donkey butt moving. Because we are donkeys. We just want to kick our heels in the ground and not move and get stubborn. And so Jesus says, I'll put a carrot in front of you so you think you're going to get it, but I'm going to keep moving the carrot. So turn to somebody and say, don't be a donkey butt. Keep chasing that carrot. Praise God. All right. Let's see if we can get this moving here. Uh, I am way behind. Jesus is. Last week we got too we got too deep in the revelation. This week Jesus is all coming here and and uh, got everything turned upside down. So we are attempting, whether we can get there or not, we are attempting over the next the uh, last week, this week, and the next two weeks to go through a six all six um, parts of the book of Ephesians. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. In case we're in a war, we get six parts. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we did chapter one last week. Those of you that were not in here, they were upstairs in the meeting. I have copies of the part one notes that if you would like to get them after we're done, I'll have them over here. Or those of you that weren't here last week, you would like to get part one. Um, again, let me, let, me, let me put this out there really quickly. These notes are built as a study guide, not just simply as something you take, read through. I'm, I'm praying and hoping you take these notes that you'll go through each chapter of Ephesians. Take the notes maybe as a guide, but let the Lord speak to you when you grow. Again, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about growing. And so uh, we did part two, uh, part one last week. And so um, I, had, I had desires to get through several this week but i'm thinking that's not going to happen considering the time that we're starting so if my lovely assistant uh chris would help me and maybe get somebody over here on this side we have part two is going to be passed out part two is only a single page so that's the if you help him take care of that side part two is uh we're going to go to chapter two and we're going to uh begin talking about chapter two of the book of Ephesians, and we're titling our study of the book of Ephesians, we're talking it and entitling it Believer's Boot Camp. And if you don't really know what that meant, you can go back into chapter uh, part one. You can read through part one and sort of talk about why we're talking about it being Believer's Boot Camp. So we're going to go through part two here and uh, see how far we go. And we may get stalled here on part two and have to come back and do three and four next week and hopefully five and six, six the week after. So once again, if you missed last week and you want, part one is available if you'd like to take that with you and um, go through that point by point if you'd like to. It's up to you. It's totally up to you. These notes are free to you. Praise God. Amen. So last week, for those of you that are in here, I did it a little differently, and I feel like that we missed some things by doing it that way. Last week, um, I read the first chapter, and then we talked about it, but I feel like we lost some, some ability to go through it. So I'm not going to read chapter 2 completely through 
Um, if you want some more of part two, I will put them over here with part number one. So part two and part one are there for if you'd like to grab a copy, you didn't get a copy uh, after we're done. So what I'd like to do this week with part two is instead of reading it completely, we kind of read it as we go along and sort of get some points. So if you could, let's start up there at the, um, I apologize, the printer kind of does some squirrely things. So uh, you have to sort of spin the page as we get through it. But you're uh, right under the heading of Believer's Boot Camp, uh, Ephesians Part 2. Let's start there this evening if we can. The Lord Jesus Christ has already defeated our enemy hands down. However, he has left it up to us to enforce every day in earth's trenches the victory he has won in the heavenlies. We talk more about this, sort of this is a recap of part one. The book of Ephesians serves as a believer's boot camp, teaching us that the church is equipped with a vast spiritual weaponry in order to accomplish this, week, this very task. Victory is ours if we fight for it. Ephesians is a serious training for serious Christians. There's a, there's a point here that we have to understand. We are not trying to fight for the victory. God's already guaranteed the victory, but we must walk in the victory. If you go back and you remember the teaching that Bishop Wright did, and I encourage you, at, over time, I know there's a lot of stuff in there, but two call, wars, two call to wars ago, whew, two call to wars ago, uh, he discussed kingdom praying. And one of the things he talked about was that kingdom praying is about speaking things into existence. Speaking things. Speaking that God will do what he wants to do. God wants to do things, but he can't do it if he doesn't have somebody to speak about. Think that. Think about that. So I wonder... That same cor correlation, there are victories he wants to manifest, but he needs somebody to step in that victory. He told the Israelites, wherever your feet will take you, I'll give you the land. They could have sat and, and, done, and, 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 and pitched camp and said, woo-woo, guess what? We got the victory, we got the victory. Isn't that a song? We got the victory, we got the victory. I forgot how it goes. That's about all I know right now. That's what they could have said. They could have had a dance party. We got the victory. Here we go. But if they did not possess the land, they would not have it. And, and I wonder if there's some things that God has for each one of us that's available to us if we possess it. That means, guess what? We got to move our feet a little bit. In chapter 1, Paul begins our training by talking about the resources of God which are now given to us. The blessings of God are a finished work. We already possess them. We talked about that in part one. We already possess them. But we have to fight for it. Just as Joshua had to fight for his promise. The devil is intimidated by your present and your future. We are predestined by God for great things. This is a fixed fight. Nothing, nothing the enemy does can abort what God has already done. Think about your eternal position, not just your current condition. Oh, praise the Jesus. Might need to say that one more time. Think about your eternal position, not just your current condition. We talked about that last week, and it's not original with me, but I love it and use it. God's more worried about your 
character than he is your comfort. His purpose in you is more eternal than it is temporal. If you, don't, if you lose sight of the eternal position that you're in and you get caught up on your current comforts, your current position, you're going to miss the whole ball game. The resurrection of Jesus is to us as the crossing of the Red Sea was to Israel. It is our point of reference for God's power in our lives because death is the greatest enemy we have to confront. Notice that the resurrection of Jesus Christ to us as the crossing of the Red Sea was to Israel. You know this, but allow me, for those who don't know this, a lot of you do know this, the Old Testament is not a throwaway book. We don't throw away the Old Testament just because it has the word old on it. When, when the writers of the Old Testament wrote, wrote it, they didn't put Old Testament at the heading. In fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy and told Timothy, all scripture is given and is profitable, the only scripture he had reference to was the Old Testament. A lot of churches nowadays dismiss the fact that there was an Old Testament. They'll tell you, you only need the New Testament. In fact, we had someone who came to, who was saved several years ago, and they came out of a church, and they said they had, that one of the things that disturbed them was that their church had given out Bibles, and the Bibles they gave out were New Testament Bibles. And they asked the question, why are we giving out New Testament Bibles? And the response they got back from the pastor was, you don't need the Old Testament anymore. That was old. You only need the New. The problem is, the Old Testament provides you the bones by which the New Testament was built on. If you don't know the if you don't understand the Old Testament, you can't understand the structure and the and the and the and in the, the fabric of the New. And so, there's so many correlations between the Old and the New, and that's not what we're going to do tonight. But that's something that we need. To we, we need to take note of. Let's go to verse number one, Ephesians chapter two, verse number one says this: "And you hath he quickened." who were dead in trespasses in sin. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1, and you, you have the same resurrection power in you. You have to quicken. For the moment we are born, we have a built-in desire to run the world around us so that it benefits and serves us. We are all born with a self-centered, me-first identity. We feel that the world revolves around us. And this very essence of the sin nature, and this is the very essence of sin nature. But God's purpose for our lives is that we have a God-first identity. This goes against our pride. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Whatever you, whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area. So what, calls, so what causes us to leave God's plan for our lives and follow our own plan we have, a lot, we have a low tolerance for delayed gratification. We really think we can do it faster and better than God. This is just human pride. Again, go back to verse number one. We're dead. And you who are quickened, who were dead, were dead. Death in the scriptures is separation. Word dead is the most significant way. Dead spiritually. You were dead. You were separated from God. Just as your body separated from your spirit cannot function on earth, your spirit separated from God's spirit cannot function in God's kingdom. That's why we just talked about it a few minutes ago. We cannot eliminate the move of the spirit.
physical death silences the body. Spiritual death silences the spirit. We are walking around, but we are dead. That's why, I don't mean to miss, I don't want to point fingers. That's why you can go into a church that believes the Bible, that speaks the Bible, but dead. Because there's no spiritual movement in that church. So even though they've got word, they've got no life. We're in times past. Verse 2. We're in times past. We walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit thou worketh in the children of disobedience. Here's that word again. We talked about it last week. Because we were dead, we tried everything possible to make our, ourselves feel alive. Notice that. What's that term? They, it's now the, they use in pop culture. You only live once. When you're dead... Your whole desire is to feel alive. That's why there's such a huge deal in the partying. Those of you that did this, you're partying, you're doing this, working for the weekend. Come on, you know what? Some Don't act like you forgot that. You know what it is. See, I knew somebody remembered it. That's your whole life because that weekend is when you could feel alive. You did everything you could to feel alive. Why? Because you were dead. That's why when you come to God, you stop all those things, not because we have rules in the church, but you shouldn't need all those things because you got a better life. The source of life changes. That's basically where sin comes from. But that little nagging voice from God continued to say, but, you'll you'll, but you're still empty. Remember the word according. We talked about this in part one. According, same root as the musical term chord. In harmony with one's pleasure, purpose, and power. This is an important word in Ephesians. The air, the atmosphere where human beings live. Verse disobedience, the total non-compliant. Or in the Old Testament, talk stiff-necked. Let's see this for a second. When we talk about being in accord, does this, are we going? Woo! Praise God. Watch it now. And a musical idea, you, can, you don't even need to be able to play an instrument to be able to hear the difference between a chord and a non-chord. Because really, if I just hit several notes, does it sound good? You don't even need to know the piano. You don't even know, need to know there's an A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You just know that doesn't sound good. If I was up here going lead worship, Stop the music. It doesn't matter how anointed I was. I was out of tune. But if you hit a chord, you can hear the difference. If I play, if I play, that's three. That's a C chord. That's three notes playing together. You can hear the difference. If I just hit three different random keys... Just three different, let me see, three random keys. If I can get four. Oh, that's it. There we go. Did you hear the difference? So when you walk accordingly, that means you're walking in harmony. So here's the deal. When you're walking according to the flesh, according, guess what you're doing? You're walking in harmony with the world. So if the world changes, guess what you do? change with it but when you come to 
God and you're saved, you change masters, which means you change what you're walking according to. That's why some of you have heard this deal. When you hear the term, and the trumpet shall sound, you've heard me teaching this before, but we hear the word, the trumpet shall sound. The mentality that we have when we hear the trumpet sound, what are we thinking about? Here we go. That's not what that word trumpet means. The word trumpet literally means a vibration. That there's going to be a vibration that goes out, and those who are walking according or in accord or in tune with the Spirit will hear the sound that goes out. So you know what sin does? Sin comes along. Puts me out of tune. So what I got to do? I got to start to realize, okay, where did I miss it here? Does that... in me, God, take it. All of a sudden, you start to... That's what it means to walk in accord. It means I'm, I'm constantly trying to make sure that my spirit is in accordance to Him. That's why I believe. I know what the Bible says, and I understand why it says it, but I personally believe that to a true believer that's walking in the Holy Ghost, you will not be shocked by the rapture. I remember as a kid, I was terrified. And I, my parents, they wouldn't, if I was in the house, I'd say, Mom, Dad, they wouldn't hear me. I'm like, there it is, I'm done. I'm in left, the rapture's coming. I'm like waiting for the, dead, the clothes to be laying on the ground. Literally, I remember I was in the, in the commissary. If you don't know what that is, that's, a, that's the military term for a grocery store. They call it commissary. The military can't call anything. They got to have their own words. I was at a grocery store, it's the commissary, over at the Navy base, my, my, my dad being in the military, retired. My mom could shop there, so that's where we went to the grocery store. I'm over there. I couldn't remember how old it was. I was young at the time. I'm walking through the aisles. I don't know if my mom went left and I went right or she went right and I went left. I have no idea, but I couldn't find her. And I remember as a child walking up and down the grocery store crying. And you know why I was crying? I couldn't find my mom, but also, too, I knew the rapture had come and I was left behind. I knew it. I'm like, there it is, right out of the grocery store. I'm left in the grocery store. But I don't believe to a true believer you will be caught off guard. Because if you're walking according to the word and according to the spirit, God's spirit pulls out pulses. And I believe as a believer. I can't tell you how many times my wife testified, testified about it with her dad. And I know some of you in here have lost loved ones who were who were. Who were Walking with Jesus, they'll testify the same thing. When someone's, when, when death starts to come, it's like God sends these things out in someone's spirit. They don't even recognize it. Things start to change in them. They don't even realize it. Why? Because I don't believe it's God's will to catch any true believer off guard. The Bible says no man knows the time or the season. Comes in a thief in the night. I, I get it. He's not going to tell you like he told that fellow that overrode the radio station. Who told us all it was going to be what? October 21st? When was it, right? Come on, somebody remember that? Was it Harold? 2012, wasn't it? October 21st, something like that. People were running around with sandwich boards. It was the end of the world. And then when it didn't come, he said, well, I miscalculated. It's actually going to be this time. And by that time, he, had, he couldn't remember when it was. But I don't believe that. So walking according, I'm, going to get, I'm never going to get to the end if I keep doing this. 
Verse 3, among whom also we, are, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice the contrast Paul is trying to give you between your old life and your new life, your old life and your new life. The children of wrath, warring and seething against all that is holy by serving the God of self. Fulfilling every carnal desire and inclination. That is the spirit of our world today. If you want to know what's the predominant spirit of the world today, it's not homosexuality, it's not drugs, it's not perversion. The predominant spirit of this world today is self. The most popular picture taken every day is a selfie. Facebook is about self. All this stuff, it's a promotion of self. We are inundated with self-promotion. The way we were before, the way we were before salvation was ugly. Satan was supernaturally powerful and much smarter than we were. The world system surrounded us from birth, and we were imprisoned in our own carnal sin nature. Yet we somehow managed to escape. How? Verse 4 tells us. But God, hallelujah, I'm glad there's always a but God in Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. There is no, if, you got, if you're taking notes, and you can put that, underline that part right there. But there, there is no other solution but God. There's never going to be a solution. There's never going to be another way to do it. There's only one solution, and it's God, 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 God. God yesterday, God today, and God tomorrow. Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. We were born dead, but God quickened us. Deliverance, think in the terms of, UPS or FedEx, happens not just when someone sends a package, but when someone else receives that package. We must reach out and take hold of salvation and blessing by God. When people become Christians, one of the hardest things to do is to retain, retrain, retrain them not to continue to operate according to the world system. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of, out of Israel. Think about that. Write that. You, you take a notes. Underline that. That's, that's something you need to remember. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. There is always a battle between the new man and the old man. Can at least somebody say amen to that? Woo! And that's why we need teaching like Paul gives us in Ephesians. We're not dead anymore, so don't act like it. By the way, we can protest all we want, but you can't legislate morality. In Canada, this, was, this, this part was taken from uh, a friend of mine, and that's why it says Canada. I'm not from Canada, so if you're wondering, I'm not moving either. You can't get un, unregenerated people to live like saints. In fact, we have a hard enough time getting saints to live like saints. Hallelujah. Sin is a heart issue. You can't fix men from the outside in, but from the outside in, just from the inside out. 
by grace. Grace is not God's ability to overlook our sin. It is the ability he gives us to live above sin. Grace is the power to change. Grace is what God gives you because you can't change on your own. So his grace gives you his power working through you to change. You can't be good enough. You can't get it good enough. You can't do that enough New Year's resolutions to get it. So his grace working in me. I often said it this way. It doesn't matter how much it's going to be to get to. God wants you to be. And there's always going to be a space. You know what that space is called? I call it the space of grace. Because God's never going to let you get to where you want to go in your own power, your own ability, your own skill, your own intellect, your own talents. There's always going to be a point. Doesn't matter how talented you are, how many giftings you are, there's always going to be a place you come up short because that's the space of grace. Raised us up together. You cannot be blessed outside God's body. Made us to sit together. Your victory depends on the body of Christ. You know why some people don't experience victory? Because they're not connected to the body. Why well, come to church? Yeah, you may come to church, but you've got bitterness in your heart that keeps you disconnected from the body. Whoo, hallelujah. Without developing an us mentality, the church will be forever divided and forever less than God, forever less than God intends. That is why the devil con uh, constantly seeks to bring division among the church so God's presence, provision, power can be manifested in us. I love that. If those of you that watched some of the um, Apostolic Academy teaching and the, um, uh, especially the one under the, the undercover, uh, the man that's teaching, it makes a great, very simple, very simple point, but it's very profound. The word division, die means two, vision. Division starts when there's two visions. It doesn't matter if it's only your vision. If your vision is not walking according to the vision God's given us, you're in division. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with the vision. If you have your own vision, that's division. Why come to church? So, you know, you think just somehow we think coming to church solves all of our problems. We're in church. No, you can come to church with sin in your heart. You can come to church with bitterness in your heart. You can come to church walking in division. Verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Verse seven, he might show God likes to show us off. Think about Job in the Old Testament. God even wants to use your past for his glory. Such were some of you. Take up your bed and walk. Show the world that you are now able to carry what once carried you. Whoo, hallelujah. Somebody say amen to that. You got to tell somebody that you now can carry what once carried you. Talk about it. In the ages of eternity, God will say, look how much I did with so little. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And, not, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace, through faith, gift of God, not worse. God did it, but we need to walk in it. Weist actually says, by grace, you have been saved completely in past time. With the present result, you are in a state of salvation, which persists through present time. Salvation is the most elastic word in the Bible. 
Look at these three terms. You heard these. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, past, I was saved. The penalty of sin. Sanctification, present, I am being saved. Overcoming the power of sin through the power of God. Glorification is my future. I will be saved. Presence of sin. So justification, sanctification, glorification. Verse 10. We're almost done here. We're getting through it. For we are work, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath ordained, God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. We are his workmanship. God is working to the outside what he has deposited on the inside. We were created to perform good works. The phrase that we should walk in, walk in them. Literally, we should order our lives within the sphere of the works God has destined us to perform. Verse 11, where, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in flesh bade my hands verse 12 that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now there's that word but again but now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ for he is our peace who hath made who who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Let's go back. Verse 11. Remember. Means to look back with appreciation for what God has done. If you want to expand your faith, look back at what God's had done, God has done for you. That's why I said remember the pit you were dug from. Not to remember and gloat over it, but remember the pit you were dug from because more than likely you're in a new pit. <laughs> look at the old pit and realize I can get out of this pit through his help. Verse 12, without Christ being alien, strangers having no hope. Made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he is our peace. Christ not only gives peace, that's temporary, he is our permanent peace. And I talk about giving peace. He's talking about being our peace. Giving peace is a temporary thing, but being peace is a permanent thing. Oh, come on, somebody. Too many people experience temporary peace because they come to, the, to, to a gathering and they experience the presence of God and they experience temporary peace, but they leave and don't walk in peace because they're not walking with him who becomes our permanent peace. Made both one, Jew and Gentile, later in Ephesians, husband and wife. They are together that neither of them could be apart. Broken down the middle wall of partition. Refer referencing to unity. Let's go to verse uh, 15 through 18. Verse 15. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that I, he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit under one father. Verse 15, enmity, great hostility or extreme conflict. 
Go back through later if, you, if you'd like to do this. Take those explanations and put them into the word. So like, for instance, verse 15, having abolished in the flesh with great hostility or extreme con- conflict. Kind of expands a little bit on what you're reading. The law was the root cause of the hostility, but Jesus fulfilled the law and abolished the conflict. Verse 15, making himself. Jesus became sin so that we might become righteousness, injecting a virus into the bloodstream to create an antibody, similar idea. Verse 16 and 17, afar off, Gentiles, nine Jews, now one body. Access depicts a formal entrance into the presence of a king or deity, i.e. a royal audience. And for sake of time there, I'm not going to read both Hebrews. You can go back through and read it there. Let's finish up the chapter here because we're running short on time. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints of the one household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building was fitly framed together. Growth unto a holy temple of the uh, in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Verse 19, household of God, you live here. What are you doing standing outside ringing the bell when Jesus died to give you a key? We were built on the foundation of what the apostles, New Testament, and the prophets, Old Testament, said. Again, we're talking about Old Testament, New Testament, said, on the cornerstone of what Jesus did. Let's read that one more time because that's important for you to understand. Biblical interpretation, that's key right there. You ready? We are, we are built on the foundation of what the apostles did, New Testament, and the prophets said, Old Testament, and the cornerstone of what Jesus did. Verse 21, fitly framed together. You cannot be independent and be part of the body of Christ. You are not fitly framed if you are not growing. How have you grown in your spiritual life in the last year? What is the difference about you today? Are you growing or are you just holding your own? We've been talking about this quite a bit in the last month or two with small groups. We want to create a culture of growth. I've been around church for 30 years. So you stop growing? I don't know if you'd ever get to the point where you stop growing in God. Care how long you notice this? I said it this uh, Sunday morning in teaching at the 9:45 discipleship teaching. If I could graph out most of your walk with God and growth, I would graph it out as here's your point when you got saved. The first five years, it looks like this. Somewhere along year five to ten, it just starts to plateau. And the difference between year one zero and year five is crazy. But from year five to year thirty, it's very small. Does God change? No, I think sometimes we lose the desire to continue to grow in him. Verse 22, build it together. Satan's only hope of overthrowing our faith is is creating disunity. You have never seen two demons fighting because they are unified. You cannot love Christ without loving his body. John 17 says, neither pray I these for the alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee that they also might be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me oneness is more than a doctrine about the Godhead father make us one father we thank you for tonight we thank you for your word we thank you for the teaching of your word I speak now in Jesus name that this word would be placed in our hearts 
I speak the seed of this word in Jesus' name. I speak fruit to come from this word. Revelation to be opened in our eyes that we can see and understand and know that we can grow in you. I speak in Jesus' name. Let unity be here. Spirit of unity, help us as we move forward. In Jesus' name, praise God. The Lord bless you one more time. If you need part one or part two, I have them available right there. If you would like to take them with you and have them, you can. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand. See you at 945. First, first lesson, unlocking the Bible. Brother Adam.